yeah. You know what this means, don't you? <laughs> it means it's time for Nero Wolf to get back on the case. Here on Sounds Like Radio Special Library of Sound editions of Nero Wolf. I just love these Nero Wolf stories. They're even more fun to read, believe it or not. You ought to read the Nero Wolf stories if you've never read them before and you'll see what I'm talking about. But these are fantastic adaptations because they follow the stories, the original Rick Stout stories, and that's what makes these Nero Wolf radio shows so great. Today, we have a show originally broadcast on February 6, 1982. Tonight's show, The Cup Killer. From the book, Triple Jeopardy. Triple Jeopardy is the book where you'll find this story, The Cop Killer. Uh, Triple Jeopardy originally came out in 1952. Uh, if you want to read the story, get that book, and you can read it for yourself. I've managed to read every single Rex Stout Nero Wolf book. I even read the other guy who tried to do Nero Wolf stories, too. He did not a bad job, but they weren't nearly as good as Rex Stout's Nero Wolf stories. I read them all, and we're going to hear one of the best, The Cop Killer. As two employees in Archie's barbershop, they get into trouble, and they got to go on the run, and they got to hide somewhere. But where are they going to hide? Uh, oh, no. They're not going to hide over there at Neo Wolf's, are they? What makes it worse? These two employees at Archie's barbershop, the Goldenrod, well, they're illegal. Illegal aliens. bane of today, but back back in the early 50s they weren't such a bad problem, but we'll find out what happens tonight on Nero Wolf and the Cop Killer on Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. Let's listen now to Nero Wolf. Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. Starring Mabel Moore as Nero Wolf and Don Franks as Archie Goodwin. Today's episode, The Cop Killer, with special guest stars Jackie Burroughs, Brian George, Arch McDonnell, and Marion Waldman. The truth of the matter is that everyone doesn't understand my sense of humor. It's not the first time my mouth has gotten me into trouble. Mr. Goodwin, you tell it me once that people in danger have only to mention your name. So when Tina and Caro from the barber shop turned up at the front door that morning, I didn't know at first how to deal with the situation. Nero Wolf was due down from the plant rooms at any minute, and he's extremely finicky about seeing people without an appointment. Also, his fees are very high. And as his assistant, I am expected to screen would-be clients. I really should have sent Carl and Tina on their way. This is a so nice, safe room for you and Mr. Wolf to such great man. <laughs> no, he's the great one. I just caddy and uh, talk too much. Now, 
What's this about danger? We, we love this country, Mr. Goodwin. We, we, we love... Let me talk, Carl. We do love this country, Mr. Goodwin, and we want to see more of it. But you see, we don't know where to go. I have $50 here. Well, that wouldn't get you too far. Oh, no. The $50, this is for you. What? To tell us where to go. You know our name, Vardas. You know we are married. So there is no question of morals. Only all we want is to do our work and live in private, Carl and me. And we think... Archie, we... I want to see the germination records of those orchids. Oh, you didn't tell me we had callers. Uh, no, sir, because I knew you would be down soon. Uh, you know Carl. He takes your coat at the barbershop, oh, yeah, and Tina's a manicurist there. It's all right. They're married. They just dropped in to buy 50 bucks worth of travel... <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Why he went? He's angry? No, sit down, please. As you said, he's a great man. It makes him a little eccentric. Now, you were saying... We don't want Mr. Wolf mad at us. No, no, forget it. He's only mad at me, which is chronic. Now, why do you want to travel? It's what yeah. I said. We love this country, and we want to go more into it. Far in. You're both scared stiff, aren't you? And what's this danger Carl mentioned? I don't think that makes he any sense. He's no good, Tina. We must tell Mr. Goodwin if we want him to help us. Please. Hi. I, I met Tina three years ago in concentration camp in Russia. If, if you want me to, I tell it you why it is they will never let us get out of there alive. Not in hundred years, but I rather not to talk so much about it. It makes me start to tremble, as you can see. Oh, oh okay, okay, save that part. But you did get out alive. Oh, yes, we are here. But they think we are dead. You see, Vardas is not our name then. We, we take name later when we get married in Istanbul. You shouldn't that... tell any places. No places, no people at all. You, you, you are most right. Uh, was not Istanbul. Okay, okay. Istanbul is out. You got married somewhere in... Yes, else. yes, yes. And then later we nearly get caught again. We do get caught no. again, but... You most right, Tina. At a certain time, in a certain way, we cross that ocean. We try very hard to come to this country according to rules, but is in no way possible. I see. It is nearly a year now since we get the jobs at the barber shop, and life is be so fine and sweet that we are almost healthy again. Oh, what we eat. We even have it some money saved. We have it got... Fifty dollars. Most right, fifty dollars. We'd be happy beyond our dreams three years ago, except... Except if we don't know what minute someone comes and asks us how we get here. Ah, so the danger is... We that... will be sent back. Right. And we know exactly what will happen to us there. I, I, I am not surprised if you feel deep contempt when you see me trembling the way I do, but to understand situations like this, I believe... You have to be somewhat close to it, mm. as I am, as, as, as Tina is. The danger has come, Mr. Goodwin. This morning, a man came to barber's shop and asked us questions. Mm. An official. What kind of an official? Was he wearing a uniform, you mean? No, no, no. in the regular clothes. But he showed us cards from police department. His name was on it. Jacob Wallen. What time this morning? Little after nine o'clock, soon after shop opened. He talked first with Mr. Fickler, the owner, and Mr. Fickler bring him around behind partition to my booth, and the man, he take out notebook and ask me questions. What kind of questions? My name, where I live, where I came from, how long I've been working there, all that kind. And then, about last night. Did last night? Yeah, where I was and what I was doing last night. Did he say why he was curious about last night? No, hmm? he just... Ask questions. Did he ask to see your papers? No. That will come next. That's why we can't go back there. We have to leave here today. Now. Did he question Carl, too? 
Yeah, yes. Right after me. And after Carl came out, he sent in Jimmy, but Carl and I knew we had to get out. So we wait till Mr. Fixler went to backup shop for something, and then we just walk out. And you came here? No. First, we went to our room where we live, and we pack our stuff. Yeah, but, but then we realized that we don't know about where to go, and we might make some terrible mistakes, so we, we talk it over. We decide that best thing will be to come to you and pay you to help us. Why me? Because we don't know many people here, and you are a professional detective. And anyway, Carl like you, best of all customers. You don't yes. tip him much, so it's not that. Huh. I have noticed you myself, the way you look. You look like a man who would break some rules, too, if oh, you had to. Thanks. Ah, damn it. Now, why did you have to beat it? That alone fixes you. What else we can do? Well, he was questioning the others, too. He was concentrating on last night. What about last night? Now, what were you doing? Uh, out there breaking more rules? Oh, oh no. We, no, we don't. We, we go straight home and eat in our room, as usual. Then I wash some clothes. And I read book. About nine o'clock, we go for And work. we are in bed by ten thirty. Our usual time. Well, then why did you run this morning? Mr. Goodwin, policeman asking questions has different effect on different people. Right. If you have a country like this one and you are innocent of crime, all the people of your country are saying with you when you answer the questions. Uh-huh. But two people alone can't answer policemen's questions anywhere in the world. Takes it whole country to speak to policemen, and Tina and I... We don't have it, one. The country we had once, it is no longer a country. It is just a place to wait to die. Only if we are sent back there now, we will not have to wait. Please, Mr. Goodwin, take it, $50. Take and tell us where to go. All little facts that will help us. Perhaps you can give us a letter to to some friends. It's not going to do any good. Now, if they're really after you, you'd be throwing your money away. Save it for a lawyer. Who are you phoning? Mr. Wolf in the kitchen. Yes? Are they gone? No, sir. They got themselves into a mess. I'm putting them in the front room till I get back. Where are you going? To get a shave. You can dock me. All right, you two. All right, in here. And keep away from the window and don't budge from this room till I get back. Oh, oh no. I, I, I don't think we can't... Carl? I like him. <laughs> Move along there. Move along. There's nothing to see. What's all the uh, excitement, officer? Accident in here. No one allowed in. How did the customers in the chairs get in? I'm a customer. Only customers with appointments. You got one? Certainly. Uh, Jimmy, how soon? Now, who whistled for you? Sergeant Curly Stebbins. What's homicide doing here? Don't tell me you and Nero Wolf are involved in this. I dropped in for a shave. I'm a regular customer. Uh-huh. Hey, Mr. Fickler, how long have I been leaving my hair here? Oh, hello, Mr. Goodwin. For over six years, Sergeant Stebbins. This is the famous detective, Mr. Archie Goodwin. Mr. Nero Wolf comes here, too. Thanks, Arnie. Famous. It's just a burden, and it's a damn nuisance. Yeah, well, don't let it get you down. You just dropped in for a shave? You got it. Write it down. I'll sign it. Who's your barber? Jimmy. Jimmy's busy. So I see. Well, I'm not pressed. I might chat with you, or I could read one of these magazines. I might even get a manicure. <laughs> you get manicures? I might, for my eyes. For your eyes? Haven't you seen Janet the manicures? Yeah. Clown. She's in the booth talking to Inspector Kramer. Kramer's here, too? What's happened? You know the other manicurist, Tina? Her husband, Carl Vardis? I know Carl well enough to tip him for taking my coat. I can't say I know Tina, but of course I've seen her. Why? 
I'm just asking. The sight of you or Wolf anywhere near a case makes me want to scratch. Isn't that a shame? So let's get it on the record in case it's needed. Have you seen Vardis or his wife this morning? Sure. You have? Yes. <clears throat> I put them in our front room and I told them to wait, then I beat it here to tell you. Now, if you step on it, you can still catch them. Excuse me if I don't laugh, okay? Okay. I mean, they killed a cop, or one of them. Killed a cop? Yeah. A detective from 20th Precinct, Jake Wallen. Here in the barbershop? Yeah, this morning. The other side of that petition. Here in the barbershop? Yeah, this morning. The other side of that petition, in her manicure booth. Stuck a long pair of scissors in his back and got his heart. This was seen by someone? Yeah, not seen or heard, damn it, but it was very busy in here, and those noisy massage things were going off and on. But you know it's them. They're prints on the scissors or something. Yeah, yes. we'll do all right without prints. They hopped it. You'll do all right without prints. Now, yeah, wait We found out where they lived. They packed up and gone. That still doesn't mean they did it. Some people get very scared at the sight you of blood. You seem very interested. Why? Excuse me, Sergeant. Yeah? It's my lunchtime. Yeah. I just go down to the cafeteria at the end of the hall. Yeah. Hey, Jaffe. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Fickler here is going to lunch. Go along and stay with him. I want to phone my wife. Why not? Stay with him, Jaffe. Yes, sir. Thank you. If, uh, if you settle for Carl and Tina, why does Arnie there have to have company at lunch? We haven't got Carl and Tina. Until we do, we're checking out everybody and everything. Now, I asked you, why are you so interested? This is natural curiosity. What else? You could have a client. No, we don't. Yeah, or looking for one. Oh, don't make me laugh. Who in this barbershop could afford wolf's fees? Yeah, I suppose. But I, I guess I'm think... curious because I can't believe you'd hang it on those two just because they ran. Come on, now, you must have something else. We have. There, you see? We think Jake Wallen came to take Carl. For what? Well, last night around midnight, a couple of pedestrians, two women, were killed uptown by a car. The car kept going. We found her a few hours later abandoned with a dented fender, blood, other items which tell you. Carl's car? No, yeah, stolen. Reported earlier last night, 20th Precinct sent Jake Wallen to it. He was the first to give it a look. Wallen was supposed to go home when his shift ended at 8 this morning, but he didn't. He phoned his wife that he had a hot lead on a hit-and-run killer and was going to handle himself and grab a promotion. But what led him to this shop? That's what we'd like to know. It had to be something he found in the car. We don't know what. The goddamn fool kept it to himself and got killed. But did he mention it or show it to anyone here? Uh, they say not. All he had with him was a newspaper. Today's news, the early edition out last night. We can't spot anything in it. There was nothing in his pockets, nothing on him that helps him. You know all the barbers here? Well, I know Arnie Fickler, the owner. Jimmy, who cuts wolves in my hair. Or Ed, who takes the appointments because he's next to the phone. The rest I only know to see. What do you know about them? To help you, probably nothing. Try. Okay. Fickler, the boss, was once attacked bodily in here in his shop by his ex-wife. Ed once slapped Fickler's face when Fickler accused him of swiping lotions. Jimmy has been here a year now, and he's the best barber, which is why Wolf and I go to him. He plays the horses, and he infuriates Fickler because he sometimes takes magazines while they're still current. Now, Jimmy thinks Janet, the manicurist, must have a sideline like dope peddling. Oh, yeah? Why? Because she refuses his advances, which by him means she's got to be too independent. Oh, Jesus, good one. I mean, you just... That's all I know. I mean, apart from that, they're all strangers. To me. What the hell are you doing here? Good, good morning, Inspector Kramer. Ah, oh, good. I see you finished with Janet. Now maybe I can get my manicure. Hello, Janet. Hello, Mr. Goodwin. I asked you what you're doing here. I'm just waiting for a shave. I'm an old customer here. Ask Burley. Is Go that ahead. straight, Stebbins? Yeah, he comes here regularly. I checked. Come in here, Stebbins, for a minute. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Janet, I was wondering where you were. What? Did you say something, Mr. Goodwin? Uh, no, there's nothing vital. And call me Archie. I'm not married. 
You're a detective, aren't you? Yeah. How can I keep them from putting my picture in the paper? You can't if they already have it, have they? I think so. I wish I was dead. Oh, come on. A pretty young girl like you. I mean it. My folks in Michigan think I'm acting or modeling. I, I keep it vague and... Here, oh, my God. Oh, work it, work Anyhow, if your picture gets printed and it's a good likeness, who knows what'll happen? Yeah, this is my Gethsemane. Your what? My Gethsemane, you know. You, I'm not sure. You know, where you have to make a decision. Oh, oh, I see, I see. <laughs> um, what was the inspector asking you just now? I only wish I had some guts. Why, what would you do? I'd tell all about it. All about what? All about what happened. You mean last night? Why not try it out on me and see how it goes? How it happened this morning. How I was going back to my booth after I finished Mr. Levinson in Ed's chair. And he called me into Tina's booth and he seized me. Hmm? With one hand on my throat so I couldn't scream. And there was no doubt at all about what he intended. So I grabbed the scissors from the shelf. And without realizing what I was doing punched them into him with all my strength. And his grip on me loosened. And he collapsed into the chair. That's how it happened? That's what I would tell them if I had any cuts. See, I would have to be arrested and then have a trial and then... Hold, hold, hold it, hold it. Who called you into the booth? The man that got killed, of course. See? The marks on my throat. No, I don't. Too early for the bruises to show, I could say. Good... Lord, that would get you top billing anywhere, wouldn't it? Mm, that's what I'm saying. Well, then go ahead and tell it. I can't. I simply can't. It, it'd be so damn vulgar. Yeah, it would be if it wasn't true. About your not being married, I, I hadn't even thought. There was an article in Collier's magazine last month about career girls getting married. Did you read it? No, I must have missed that one. Oh, that article was silly. I think a girl should get a career established first. That's why when I see an attractive man, I, I never wonder if he's married. But by the time I'm ready for one, these will be too old. See, that's why I wouldn't ask you if you knew anyone in show business. Because I wouldn't take help from a man. I think that a girl... Ready, Mr. Goodwin? Oh, good, Jimmy. Juice uh, scrape the face. Uh... <laughs> Did you phone? Huh? Did that fathead Ed forget again? Oh, no, no, no. I just got caught needing a shave, that's all. You seem to have had some excitement here, Jimmy. Ooh, we sure did. Hey, Carl. You know Carl? Sure. He killed a man in Tina's booth. What? Then they both ran. I'm sorry for Tina. She was all right, but uh, Carl, I don't know. Hey, how's that? Too tight? No, no, it's fine. Uh, Jimmy, I'd watch it if I was you. You know, it's a little risky to go blabbing that Carl killed him unless you can prove it. Well, he had fits. Fits? Yeah. Like he'd uh, shake all over. And what do you run for? I, I couldn't say, but, I mean, the cops are still poking around here. There's even an inspector. This towel's hot now. Oh, yeah, it sure is. Hey, they're after evidence. Oh. You gotta have evidence. For instance, they want to know that man who was killed. Mm. Uh, did he show me anything, or did he ask me anything about some article from the shop? That would be evidence, see? Uh-huh, yeah. What did he ask you? Hell, what didn't he ask? You'd think I was taking out insurance or something, you know? <laughs> I told him where to get out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He asked me, what was I doing last night? Do you believe it? Come on. Yeah. Oh, well, you didn't tell him, eh? Yeah. He kept on at me, so I figured, what the hell, and told him. Why not? That's my philosophy, Mr. Goodwin. Why not? It saves trouble. 
As long as my wife doesn't find out, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah. Yeah, all those in there asking questions. One at a time. Janet was the last. Who found him dead? Fickler. Ten or fifteen minutes later, jeez, he come yelling out of there. I damn near nicked my customer. How's the razor, all right? It's fine, just, yeah, just fine. Yeah, then the cops come. Man, it's been nothing but questions ever since. Who went behind the partition after Janet came out, they want to know. I tell them, how do I know? I had a customer at the time. When exactly did Carl and Tina leave? They must have asked me that 20 times. But I can't say and I won't say. Carl did it all right. But they can't prove it by me. They got to have evidence, right? Mm. But not me. Good man. Inspector Granger don't like you being here. Neither do I, Sergeant. Neither do I. Yeah, thank God this didn't happen to be Wolf's day for a haircut. You never would have believed it. Speed it up just a little, Jimmy. Mr. Wolf hates to wait lunch. The first surprise when I got home was that Tina and Carl were not in the front room. The second the surprise was to find them sitting with Wolf at the dining room table. Than any other jackass. And ma- oh, you're just in time, Archie. You like veal and mushroom. I asked the Vardis to wait in the front room till I got back. I invited them to join us. I don't sit at my table alone when there are unfed people in my home. Uh, yes, sir, but there's a problem. Yes, Archie. I know you have a paroxysm if I try to bring up business during meals, but 18,000 cops would give a month's pay to get their hands on Carl and Tina, your guests. Oh, indeed. Why? Have you talked with them? No, I, I merely invited them to lunch. I see. I ran into Kramer and Stebbins at the barber shop. Oh, confound it. Yes, sir. And the rest of their squad that handles only one kind of case. It's quite interesting, really. But first lunch, of course. I'll go and put the chain bolt on. Please dish me up some veal. Please be seated. Uh, Mrs. Vardis, I think you'll find the red chair quite comfortable. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. That was its fine cooking. Oh, thank you, Mr. Vardis. Fritz takes great pride in his veal. Now then, Archie, what have you gotten us into this time? Us? Yes, I'm responsible for their presence since they were my guests at lunch. Okay, if that's how it is. I did not invite them to come here, let alone to have lunch. They came on their own, and I let them in, which is one of my functions. Having started it, I'll finish it. Carl, Tina, it's dangerous for you to stay here. Well, now, I know of a safe place up in the Bronx for you to lay low for a couple of days. You shouldn't take a taxi or the subway, so we'll go around the corner to the garage, get Mr. Wolf's car, and you can drive it up there. Excuse I'll... me, you will drive us up there? No, 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 I'll be too busy. Yeah, but the, I the... can drive car. I don't know how. Okay, then your wife will drive. Now, you can leave the no, car. No, 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 she can't. She don't know it either. What do you mean you can't drive a car? Certainly you can. Everybody can drive a in car. In this country, and... yes, no. but we are new in this country. We have never had the chance to learn. You've never... Driven a car? No, never. No. Carl? Never. No. What the devil is this? It has a bearing, as you'll soon see. Now, here's how it is. A precinct detective named Jake Wallen called at the barber shop this morning and began asking questions. Fickler took him into Tina's booth, and he questioned Tina first. Then the others had sessions in this order. Carl, Jimmy, Ed, and Janet. After Janet came out, there was a period of 10 or 15 minutes when Wallen was in the booth alone. Then Fickler went to see, and what he saw was Wallen's body with scissors buried in his back. Carl! No! Oh, no! Oh, Carl, you didn't! Oh, oh, no! Tina, Tina, Mrs. Vardis, no, please. Do you understand? No, Mrs. Vardis. Stop, stop, stop. And that... That man was killed there in Tina's boot? Yes. Then, of course, this is end for us. But please, I ask you not to blame my wife, because 
We go through many things together. She thinks I can do things that are not possible for me. But I do not kill that man. I do not touch him. Uh, about driving a car. Was that flummery? No, sir. That comes next. Last night around midnight, a hit-and-run driver in a stolen car killed two women up on Broadway. The car was found parked at Broadway 96th Street. Wallen from the 20th Precinct was the first one to look it over. In it, he apparently found something that led him to the Goldenrod Barbershop. He showed up there and called the roll, as described, with the result also as described. Now, Kramer has bought it that the hit-and-run driver found himself cornered and used the scissors. And Kramer, don't quote me, is not a dope. Now, to qualify as a hit-and-run driver, you must meet certain specifications, and one of them is knowing how to drive a car. Then the best plan would be for Mr. and Mrs. Vardis to go back to the shop at once and uh, submit to Mr. Kramer's uh, questioning. Except for two things. What? One, the fact that they landed will make it very tough, and two, even though it is settled that they didn't kill a cop, their lack of documents will fix no, them anyhow. wait, wait, their, their lack of documents... Uh, will... Yes, sir, they're in the country illegally. They escaped from a concentration camp in Russia. Oh, God. An interesting angle is that you are harboring fugitives from justice, and I am not. I told Pearlie they're here. You, you, you what? That's the advantage of having a reputation for gags. You can say practically anything if you handle your face right. Oh. I told him they were here in our front room, and he sailed right over it. So I'm clean, but you're not. If you don't want to call Kramer yourself, which I admit would be a little thick since they were your luncheon guests, I could get Pearlie at the shop, tell him that they're still here, and why isn't he sent for them? It, it might be better if you let us go ourselves, no? No. There is another alternative to consider. Oh, yes, sir, what? Since Mr. Kramer and Mr. Stebbins are still there at work, they may at any moment disclose the murderer. Oh, I doubt it. They settled for Carl and Tina, and what they're looking for is evidence, especially what it was that led Wallen to the shop. <sighs> Mrs. Vardis, except for Mr. Fickler, that man questioned you first, is that right? Yes, sir. Did he produce any object? Did he show you any object, whatever? No, I'm sure he did not. He had the newspaper in his hand. Yes, he asked about no object, anything in the shop. No. He took nothing from his pocket? No. The newspaper he had, did he take that from his pocket? No, he had it in his hand when he came in from the booth. In his hand or under his arm? In his hand, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Was it folded up? Well, of course, newspapers are folded. Yes, Mrs. Vardis. Just remember the newspapers you saw it in his hand. I'm making a point of it because there's nothing else to make a point of, and we must have a point if we can find one. Was the newspaper folded up as if he'd had it in his pocket? No, it was not. It was not folded that much. When he sat down, he put it at the table, and it was the way it is on newsstands, so that's how it was folded. But he didn't mention it. No. And you noticed nothing unusual about it? I mean the newspaper. No, it was only newspaper. What is it, Fritz? Inspector Kramer is at the door, sir. He insists on seeing you. Oh, confound it. Archie, quickly, quickly. See our guest to the front room. All right, now hurry, you two. Now sit there in the corner. Uh, don't go near the window or doors. This time, don't move until I tell you. Is that clear? But... No, there's no but. Is that clear? Yes. Now, bring Mr. Kramer in, Fritz. Yes, sir. Mr. Wolf will see you now. Well, it took you long enough. Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. Fritz, will you bring beer, please? You'll have some beer, Mr. Kramer. I'm here on business. Indeed. How can I help you? You can tell me what Goodwin was doing in that barber shop this morning. Oh, I understand he went for a shave. Isn't that right, Archie? Yes, sir. I have learned over a stretch of years 
that when I find you or Goodwin within a mile of a murder, something fancy can be expected. Uh, Mr. Let Kramer, me finish. Uh, I know you've been going to that shop for two years and Goodwin for six years. But the owner, Arnie Fickler, says that in the six years Goodwin has been going there, he has never once gone for just a shave. Not once. He goes only for the works. Haircut, shampoo, and shave. So today, two hours after a murder, he goes there just for a shave? I don't believe it. And you don't? I'm not responsible for your credulity, Caution. No one would believe it. I don't see how we can help you. I believe that Goodwin went to that shop because he knew a man had been murdered there. Then you believe wrong. Your credulity, Quotient, needs an overhaul. Until I got there, I hadn't the slightest idea or suspicion that a man had been murdered there or anywhere else. Your going there had nothing to do with the murder? Put it that way if you prefer. I'll write it out and sign it for you if you like. I would like. Word it yourself, but say it right. You'll get it. Today. Okay, right now if you want. You know the law about withholding evidence as well as I do. You ought to by this time the stunts you pulled. Uh, you thought that I had sent Archie to the shop on business? I still think so. Then you might as well have an affidavit from me, too. In it, I will say that I did not send him to the barber shop and that I heard and knew nothing of the murder until he returned and told me. You'll swear to that? As a favor to you, yes. Since you wasted your time, you might as well get a little something out of it. But, uh, Mr. Kramer, I, I still don't know your real reason for coming here. According to Archie, the murderer is known. And all you have to do is find him. Uh, what could you expect to get from me? When I see Goodwin poking around, I want to know why. I don't believe it. Archie, I think you must be responsible for this. Me? How? You're brash. You talk too much. What? It must have been something you did or said. What was it? I don't get it. What did you say to Mr. Kramer? Practically nothing. I just answered a civil question. What did you say to Stebbins? Oh... Oh, I just asked what was going on, and he told me. And then I told you about it. Not verbatim. What did you say? Nothing. Damn it. Of course, Pearlie wanted to know what bought me there, and I took... Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you're right at that. Pearlie asked me if I had seen Carl or Tina this morning, and I said, sure. I'd put them up here in the front room and told them to wait. And if he would step on it, uh, he could find them. I knew it. Your confounded tongue. Huh? So that's it, is it, Mr. Kramer? Sergeant Stebbins told you that. He mentioned it. <laughs> then why, why have you waited to pounce? Since Archie has rashly disclosed our little secret, it would be useless for me to try to keep it. <clears throat> That's what we use the front room for, mainly, to keep murderers in. You're armed, I suppose. Go in and get them. Archie, open the door for him. Oh, certainly. I wouldn't want to stand in the way of justice. There you are, Inspector. I'm scared of murderers myself, or I'd be glad to help. Well, Mr. Kramer. Comedy. I just happened to drop in on my way down to my office. I'll expect those affidavits this afternoon. Whatever you say, just as long as we're not going to be jailed for harboring fugitives. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Goodwin, is Inspector Kramer there? Yeah, yeah, he's here, Pearly. He just happened to drop in on his way downtown. It's for you, Inspector. Yeah, Pearly, what is it? When? Bad? Does she know who? Goodwin. Oh, why him? You're sure? Oh, Jesus. I'll be right there. Come on, Goodwin, you're coming with me. What is it? What's happened? The manicure is Janet. Someone tried to kill her. Who? She won't say. She says the only person she'll tell is you. Me? Why me? That's what I want you to tell me in the car on the way there. Now, come on. Just 
found on the floor of her booth out cold from a blow on her head. We brought her to, and she can talk, but she won't. She says she won't talk to anybody except her friend, Archie Goodwin. How long have you known her? Until today, I merely leered at her. The only chat I've ever had with her was here today, under your eye, huh? But look what it did to her. Is it any wonder my opinion of myself is what it is? Yeah, you've never seen her outside the shop? Never. That can be checked. Yeah. Right now, we want you to get her to talk. Oh, God damn her, she stopped us cold. Come on. Eh, eh, eh. Hold it, hold it. If I'm going to ask her questions, I ought to know what happened. Oh, Jesus, good one. There are only three of us left here. I was on the phone. Jaffe and Sullivan were there on chairs. The barbers were working on customers. Someone wanted a manicure. Fickler called Janet. She didn't come. Where was she? On the floor of her booth, out cold. She'd gone there maybe 15 minutes before. Alone all that time? Well, I think all the barbers had gone back behind the partition at least once during that time. You think? Good when I said I was on the phone quite a lot. Oh, Jesus. How bad is she hurt? Well, not bad enough for the hospital. Doc let us keep her here. She was hit above the right ear with a bottle taken from the supply shelf. The bottle was big, heavy, full of oil. It was there by her on the floor. Any prints? Oh, come on, Goodwin. For God's sake, start a school. He had a towel in his hand or something. It is a barber shop. Come on. Just a minute. What did the doctor say when you asked him if she could have just been testing her own skull? Well, he said it was possible, but he doubted it. Come and ask her. Here's your friend, Archie Goodwin, Miss Stahl. Hello, Janet. Hi. How do you feel? Terrible? No, I don't feel at all. I, I'm past feeling. Mm. Can I can I have a look at that bump on your head? If you're careful. Can you tell me if it hurts? Oh. Oh, my doing your hair is going to be a problem for a while. Who did it? Send them away and I'll tell you. Certainly. You men, come on, get out. What if is? I had been here, this never would have happened. Now, leave us. Now, look, Goodwin. Out. Come on, Sergeant. Wow. You sure showed them. Well, it was shocking. You could have been killed. It disfigured for life. It could have ruined your career. Thank God you got a good thick skull. I started to scream, but it was too late. What started you to scream? Seeing him? Hearing him? It was both. I was sitting in the customer's chair with my back to the door. I, I was just sitting there trying to think, you know. I know. And then there was this little noise behind me, like a, a stealthy step. Uh-huh. And I, I looked up and I saw him reflected in the glass right behind me with his arm raised. And I started to scream, but before I could get it out, he struck. Right, you were... You were sitting in the chair, this chair, with your back to the door like this, right? Uh, that's it. I was thinking and like... you saw his reflection in that crinkly glass partition there? Yeah. And you recognized him? Yeah. The glass is uh, crinkly. It'd be hard to get a clear reflection. You're sure you recognized him? Well, of course I'm sure. That's why I wouldn't speak to them. That's why I had to see you. Why did you have to see me? Because of who it was. Who was it? It was that one with the big ears. And the gold tooth, the one they call Stebbins, or they call him Sergeant. Are you telling me that Sergeant Stebbins hit you with that bottle? Well, I can't say it was him that hit me. I, I think people should be careful what they accuse other people of. I only know it was him I saw standing behind me with his arm raised, and then something hit me. From that, one can only draw conclusions. Yeah, but Janet... Besides, Stebbins... he was rude to me this morning... Asking me questions, and all day he's been looking at me in a rude way. Not the way a girl is willing for a man to look at her, because she has to expect that. Yeah, but Janet, that doesn't make sense. Well, does Stebbins. it make sense for Mr. Fickler or 
Jimmy or Ed to want to kill me, why would they? But why would Stebbins? I told I've you. I've never known him to strike a woman without a cause. Oh. What did he have against you? I don't know. When they ask me that, I'll, I'll just have to say I don't know. Now, that's what you've got to tell me, how to answer things to reporters. I can't keep on saying I don't know or why would they print it? What hit you? I don't know. Who hit you? I don't know. Why did he want to hit you? I don't know. Oh, God. I mean, who'd want to read that? What should I say to them? I don't know. We'll come to that. Uh, first, we're no, going... No, we ought to settle it right now. That's how you'll earn your 10%. Uh, my 10% of what? Of everything I get as my manager. Shake on it. <laughs> hey, that's a darn good idea, but I think... I can tell the reporters to ask you about things I don't know. It's called referring them to my manager. Janet, you tell the reporters I'm your manager, and I'll give you a lump that'll make that one seem as flat as a pool table. Oh, but I need some answers to give. Well, just say it's a mystery. People love a mystery. That's it. That's the kind of mm -hmm. thing... Oh, I, I knew I could count on you. Mm. 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 Oh. <laughs> Oh, what do I say when they ask me if I'm going to go on working here? Couldn't I say I don't want to desert Mr. Fickler in the time of trouble? Great. That's the ticket. <laughs> Just came to me. That's the thing that we have to work on, how to handle the reporters. Now, uh, <clears throat> what they like best is to get the jump on the police. Now, if you can tell them something that the cops don't know, they'll love you forever. Uh, for instance, now... Yeah? Mm. For, for instance, what? Suppose for a minute that it wasn't Stebbins that hit you. But... Just suppose that it was someone else. Why would someone want to get you? I don't know. Maybe, just maybe, you do know something. But you don't know that you know it. You know, you see what I mean? No. Hmm. Well, maybe sometime today you saw or heard something in this person. Now, let's call him X. X? Yeah, X. And if X knew that you told about it, that would put him on the spot. So that's why he had to kill you. Oh, I get you. You mean a motive. Exactly. It's just like a motive. Now, here's the point. If you can remember what it was you heard or saw that scared X, wow, those reporters will be your friends for life. Now, for God's sake, don't miss the chance. Concentrate. Okay. Remember everything you saw or heard here today and tell it to me now. Right. I don't remember anything. Concentrate. It was probably some little thing that didn't seem important to you at all. Maybe I could say that... No, I... no, it's got to be true. Oh, well, let's... quarter to nine. I'm always punctual. Swell. <laughs> were the others here already? Some were and some weren't. Who was and who wasn't? Good Lord, I don't know. If you're going to expect me to remember things like that, then we might as well just quit. <sighs> when I came to work, I was thinking of something else. A lot of the time I'm thinking of something else, so how could I notice? I'll tell you what, I think you're ready. I'm going to send in a reporter. A reporter? Oh, God, I I'm not ready. Sure you are. Oh. Just use your common sense and stick to facts. Oh, give me a minute. I want to fix my... You heard. We heard. I had to come up for air. If you shoot her, send her brain to Johns Hopkins. We can find it. Did she knock herself out? I doubt it. It was a pretty solid blow to raise that lump. You didn't find her prints in the bottle. Bothering about prints has been either. 
You better pick someone good to be that reporter from the Gazette. Uh, can I go home now? No, she might insist on seeing her manager again. Oh, come on. Oh, well. I'll have to call Mr. Wolf and let him know. I do work for him, you know. So I dialed the number that I knew best and reported. And then I waited. I waited for nearly two hours while they brought in a detective that Janet might think was a reporter. I think he came out even more confused than she was. Mr. Kramer, will you ask this man to let me pass? Well, I'll be damned. I don't believe it. <laughs> let him in, Jaffe. Well, what happened? Dynamite? I came to get a haircut. Jimmy, are you free? Yes, sir. You want a haircut, huh? Yes, sir. As you can see, I need one. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, Jimmy. Come and cut Mr. Wolf's hair. You just dropped in? Like Goodwin this morning? Certainly not. Mr. Goodwin told me on the phone of his fruitless talk with Miss Tal, and I thought it well to come. Okay, you're here. You don't leave your house on business for anybody or any fee, but you're here. And you're not going to leave until I know why, without any such crap as murderers in the front room. Uh, not a shot as last time, Jimmy. No, sir. Mr. Kramer, you can badger me if that's what you're after and get nowhere, but I offer a suggestion. Why not work first? Why don't we see if we can settle this business, and then if you insist, go after me? Or would you rather harass me than catch a murderer? You know how to catch the murderer? Quite possibly. I'd like to propose certain assumptions about what happened here today. Do you care to hear them? Oh, listen, but don't drag it out. I won't. Please don't waste time challenging the assumptions. I don't intend to defend them, much less validate them. They're merely a basis of exploration to be tested. The first is this. That Wallen found something in the car, the car that had killed two women. No, Jimmy. Jimmy, I don't like it this way. I want a direct view, not reflections. Turn me around, please. Uh, like this? Ah, thank you. Uh, Janet isn't here. Do you want her? If possible. Can she sit up? Stebbins. She says it makes her a little bit dizzy. Who'd notice? Bring her. Yes, sir. You were going to make some assumptions? Yes. The first is that Wallen found something in the car that led him to this shop. Some object, obviously, since there was no one to tell him anything. We made that assumption without any help. And it still holds? Yes. That's fortunate, since all of my assumptions concern that object. The second is that Wallen had it with him when he came here. I can support that with strong You don't evidence. need to. We made it and we hold it. Very well. That saves time. Uh, not too short back there, Jimmy. No, sir. The third is that he had the object inside the newspaper he was carrying. It was an early edition of the news on sale last evening, not on sale this morning. He had it in his hand, folded to approximately the size of 12 inches by 9 inches. You know a lot about it. I know nothing you don't know. It's difficult to account for his carrying a stale newspaper in that manner unless it was a container for some object. At least the assumption is good enough to work on. The fourth is that whatever the object was, the murderer got it and disposed of it because no object that could have led Wallen to this shop was found on his person or in the booth. The fifth assumption is that the murderer was neither Carl nor Tina Vardis. I shall what make the hell How do you I, know that? I, I, I shall I not know why support you... that assumption. Don't waste time clawing at me. Since Carl and Tina are not involved and therefore I didn't take the object away with them, it's still here in the shop. That is the sixth assumption. And it's good only if your surveillance of these people here all these hours has been constant and alert. Now, what about it? Could any of them have removed such an object from the shop? I want to know why you're excluding Carl and Tina. No, not now. First, we'll complete this test. We must know whether the object could have been removed by anyone other than Carl or Tina. No. How good a no? 
Good enough for me. No man has stepped outside this shop alone. Something could have been slipped to a customer, but that's stretching it. And we've had them under our eyes. Not apparently the one who assaulted Miss Stahl. That was in the shop. Is that a point? I suppose not. Then we assume hmm. that the object is still here. The seventh assumption is this, that no proper search for such an object has been made. Have you searched thoroughly, Mr. Stebbins? We've looked. Carl and Tina had to have taken yes, it. Yes, but granting my assumption which excludes their taking it, has there been a proper search? No. Then it's about time. Mr. Fickler. Yes, Mr. Wood? You run this place and you can help us. But I address all of you who work here. Put your minds on this. Uh, you too, Jimmy. Stop a moment. Listen. Hell, I can work and listen too, Mr. You Wood. cannot. I want full attention. Okay. Miss Stahl, are you listening? What? What we're after is an object with something on it that identifies it as coming from this shop. Ideally, it should be the name and address or phone number, but we'll take less if we have to. We are supposing that it was inside the newspaper as Wallen was carrying it, so it should be flat and of those dimensions. Now, all of you went to the booth and were questioned by Wallen, but he showed you no such object and mentioned none. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. No, he didn't. Then only the murderer saw it, or was told of it. And later, when the opportunity came for him to dive into the booth and kill Wallen, he got the object and disposed of it somewhere in this shop. Now, I put it to you, and especially to you, Mr. Fickler, what is it, and where is it? Uh, maybe it was the newspaper itself. Possibly, but I doubt it. Where is the newspaper, Mr. Kramer? At the lab. There's nothing on it or in it that could have brought Wallen here. What else has been taken from here to the lab? Nothing else but the scissors and the bottle that was used on the stall. Then it's still here. Uh, all right, Jimmy, finish, finish. <laughs> it looks like a turkey to me, even with your assumptions. Say we find something like what you want. How do we know it's it? And even if we think it's it, where does that get us? We'll see when we find it. For one thing, fingerprints. Nuts. If it belongs here, of course it'll have their prints. Not their prints, Mr. Stebbins. Wallen's prints. As I understand it, he didn't go around touching things here. He entered, spoke to Mr. Fickler, was taken to the booth, and never left it alive. So if we find anything with his prints on it, we've got it. Have you your fingerprinting equipment here? Get it, Stebbins. And Wallen's prints from our file. The search must be thorough and will take time. First, I ask all of you to search your minds. What object is here, belongs here, that meets the specifications I've described? Now, surely you can tell us, Mr. Fickler. I, I, I don't know. Unless it's a towel. But why would he carry a towel like he that? He wouldn't. Anyway, a towel wouldn't help us, so I reject it. Miss Stahl. I think he may have been keeping the paper because there was something in it he wanted to read. I know I often do that. Say it's an evening paper and, and I don't yes, have time yes, to... Yes, yes, yes. We'll consider that. Jimmy? <clears throat> I don't know a thing like that in the store, uh, Mr. Wolf. Not a thing. Hoy! Either you have no brains at all or they're temporarily paralyzed or you're all in a conspiracy. I am looking straight at such an object right now. What? Where? On that table. The magazine? Of course. You subscribe to the Mr. Fickler, they come through the mail, then the name and address is on them. That Time magazine, for example, the addressee is on the cover. Surely it deserves examination and others, too. What if he took it from here and had it in his pocket when he stole the car and drove up Broadway, and in the excitement of his misadventure, he failed to notice it had dropped from his pocket and was on the seat of the car. And Wallen found it there, took it, and saw the name and address on it. Eh? 
You sent for the equipment and the prints, Mr. Stebbins? Then we ought oh, to be able... Oh, I remember. You remember, Jimmy. This morning I was standing here, and you came in with a hot towel, and you had that magazine. You tossed it under there, and, and then you asked... Shut up, I you asked stupid you, you've been fool. It, you... Too late, what? Jimmy. We all... Dumb brother. Oh, get those scissors from him. I don't want anything else to happen. Found it. My barber... As stubborn as Kramer was, he never did learn why Wolf went to get a haircut that day. But he did learn plenty about Jimmy Corelli. Jimmy was wanted as a bail jumper under another name in West Virginia on charges of car stealing, drunken driving, and assault, to name just a few. He had a really colorful background. As for Carl and Tina, I took a strong position on them Tuesday evening in the office after they had been sent up to the south room to bed. You know damn well what'll happen. They won't go to Ohio or anywhere else. They'll stay here, and someday, maybe next week, they'll be in trouble again. And they'll come, and to, they'll me come to me again because Carl likes me and because I rescued them this time. You rescued them? And I'll try to help them again, and you'll have to butt in again because you can't get along without me, and it'll go on like that year after year. Why not take care of it now and live in peace? Oh, shut up, Archie. I'm reading. Yes, sir, in an hour or so. There are people in the government who owe you something. For instance, Carpenter. I have Carpenter's home number, and I might as well get him now. Shall I make it person to person? I got my naturalization papers 24 years ago. I wasn't discussing you. You've caught it from Janet. Starring in today's episode were Maver Moore as Nero Wolfe, Don Franks as Archie Goodwin, and Cease Linder as Inspector Kramer. Jackie Burroughs was Janet, Brian George, Jimmy Corelli, Arch McDonald, Carl Vardis, Marion Waldman, Tina Vardis, Arnie Hart, Mr. Fickler, James Morris, Sergeant Stebbins, and Frank Perry was Fritz. Music was composed and conducted by Don Gillis. Technical operations, John Jessup. Sound effects, Bill Robinson. Production assistant was Nancy McElveen and casting consultant Ann Weldon Tate. The Cop Killer was written and produced in Toronto by Ron Hartman. friends tonight's Nero Wolf story the cop killer on sounds like radio special editions on library of sound the library of sound I just love these special editions well friends until next time when we're back with more Nero Wolf more Philip Marlowe more Gene Shepard more Bing Crosby you never can tell what we're going to be doing here on these library of sound editions of sounds like radio we will see you then, and we will see you in our regular Sounds Like Radio shows filled with great music and the great Gildersleeve. I am your humble host. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you again next time. Goodbye, everybody.